Hello there and welcome to another episode of An Irishman Abroad with me, Jarlath Regan. Our chosen charity partner is Jigsaw.ie. Across all Irishman Abroad podcasts, across the Irishman Abroad podcast network, Jigsaw are the charity that we chose to support and encourage you to donate to. They are a very special Irish mental health charity for young people specifically. If you know anyone that's struggling through all of this and needs help, needs someone to talk to and need maybe just needs help learning the mental health skills they'll need to survive in life jigsaw.ie was specifically set up for that reason they've seen a massive rise in demand for their services in the past six months a 400 percent rise by last count they need your help if you can help them just go to jigsaw.ie forward slash now and set up a small donation well it's been an amazing week for irish man Bro podcasts and a tumultuous week across the world if you've been following u.s politics things are really heating up maybe you'd enjoy our u.s politics podcast another podcast from the irish man abroad podcast network irish man in america with the brilliant marion mckeown who you'll know of course from the last word with matt matt cooper and cal thomas well marion is on the ground working for us there as our eyes and ears making sense of what is a very difficult and complicated situation nothing is of course black and white and there's an awful lot of murky stuff that only she can tell us about you can hear that series and all of our episodes over at patreon.com forward slash irishman abroad that's how we keep the lights on and that's how we've managed to survive this pandemic i love making this podcast and a lot of you love listening to it so for that to continue please come on over and listen to all of our episodes and the full extended cuts of our weekly episodes at patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad well Sinead O'Carroll was reluctant to do the show she said who would want to listen to me talk but she really does have quite an incredible story and an unusual story not someone who dove straight in and knew straight away what she wanted to do to hear we talk about exactly how different life was growing up in Kildare as we both did during the 90s and how a pretty unusual trip or situation brought her to New York City working for a travel magazine where she realised she wanted to go into the news. She is today of course well known for her presenting of Ireland AM, her work at journal.ie and her really extraordinary coverage of women in sport and politics in sport. I'm a massive fan of her work and I'm delighted that she took the time to do the show. I will have a big announcement to make on Monday. It's a brand new series from Irish Man Abroad podcast, again only made possible by our patrons. It starts on Monday. I will do the announcement then. But for now, sit back, relax, walk the dog, whatever you have to do. Enjoy the Sinead O'Carroll episode of An Irishman Abroad. That's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been 
a little green behind the red, white, and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! Sinead O'Carroll, I remember reading your timetable when you were working at TV3 and news editor at Journal. And it, it, it read like it read like absolute insanity. Correct me if I'm wrong on this. It was get up at half four, go out to uh, Virgin. I called it TV3 there because I've, I'm not in the country a long time. Work there till half ten, then go to Journal, work there till half seven, get home and have some form of rest into bed before half ten and do it all again the next day. Is that was that real? Did I get that wrong? I'm so confused about where you found that timetable. <laughs> like, where did you find that from? Yeah, no, that's extremely accurate. So good journalistic research there. Yeah, I'd get up. It was actually my alarm go off at four twenty. My now husband, a boyfriend at the time, bought me a alarm clock that we put very far away from the bed so I would have to physically get up to turn it off okay. and then obviously he wasn't getting up at 20 past 4 so I would do it straight away yeah hop in the shower but it's it's not as bad as it sounds so it like you get up bananas. at 20 past 4 but you don't actually have to get ready for your day so like okay. yes you wash your hair you, you shower yourself but then you go in and there's someone who's going to be there to fix her, fix your hair up and do your makeup so you, you're kind of only having to get half ready uh, leave the house and then you get, yeah, get to TV3, get dickied up. TV3, look at me, I'm doing it now, Virgin Media. <laughs> um, get dickied up by the wonderful makeup ladies who have to be there much earlier than you do, as do the news readers. And then you would start your day. But the day that you're having there, it's really nice. And also you're doing part of the work that's for your next job because right. you're getting you're reading the papers you're getting up to date with everything that's happening in the news you're connecting with people that you might not necessarily connect with as a news journalist but you're kind of ear to the ground you're hearing about what people are caring about that day mm. so yeah you would do your few hours in studio there which is always a bit of a buzz and there's an adrenaline that'll keep you going and also you're there with Mark Cagney, who has been doing this for 20 years. So <laughs> after a few weeks, you are not complaining. <laughs> really? You're looking at Mark Cagney going, you have done this. And he gets up even earlier. He reads every single word of every single paper from about half three in the morning. He gets up to make sure what? he's fully prepared for the show. And he never stopped doing that. And he also does two crossword puzzles through the show. So this is just the Mark Cagney <laughs> podcast now. But So I never really ever felt that I was being put upon in any way to do a lot of work. The research team is amazing. And then I would go to my job with a journal. I was news editor at the time, which I adored. And then it also felt like you were preparing for the next day. So there was no, like everyone who presents Ireland AM has to do a huge amount of prep work. Whereas I am in the middle of the news cycle. There's people reporting. There's people telling me things that are going on. So it was kind of, they fed into each other a little bit. Now, obviously, there were insanely long days. You know, I was working from half five in the morning till half seven in the evening with very little break. Yeah. But then, yeah, you just figured out in January and February. I did it for, I think, about nine weeks. Okay. Yeah, well, well two, it was fine. two things there, right? First of all, I don't think any of our listeners are listening to that going, it was grand. Sure, Jesus, you just figure it out. I think anybody or most people listening to this would think that's madness that like that that requires first of all an insane quantity of energy and second of all you must really love it to be able to do that 
first of all, have you always had that level of energy? And second of all, was this always the plan? Was this what you pictured? It does take a huge amount of energy. First, I've no kids, so I have no, like, I've no concept of what actual, like, hard family living is you know like i have i i don't have to get up at five o'clock in the morning because it's a screaming child or i don't have to get a, a kid out to school and then out to work so i think mm-hmm. there's perspective there like i just have to look after myself like gotcha. and i'm not a domesticated person as, as i always like <laughs> my mother will tell you like i'm pretty messy i you know don't do laundry every week you know there, so there's loads of things that fall down because i prefer to work in a different way i prefer to you know do two jobs in in at one time and yeah i probably have always been like that but i don't think it's an admirable quality over what other people choose to to do with their time um it's just how i um have lived and yeah i think i always have um all the way through school i would have worked from once we were allowed work in in i think i was in third or fourth year when i got my first job and um i would have worked all the way through college in probably a way that other people might have seen as different to a lot of uh, college jobs i worked for british telecom in an office job and would have done kind of full shifts before starting the college day and then when i worked in new york i worked i had a full-time job in a magazine but i also used to a huge amount of shifts in a in a bar there so yeah we kind of me and my friend who were both irish who lived in new york used to say if you had if you didn't have to work twice in a day it was like having a day off <laughs> so i kind of used that mantra when i was doing the double jobbing when i was with the ireland am that like you know this is just like splitting your 24 hours into two days so it just kind of went backwards a bit and and you know did my new york mindset again yeah um yeah i wouldn't recommend it for everybody but as i said it was the time like time in my life that i could do it you know i don't have i don't have dependence i didn't you know i didn't have a huge amount else going on so yeah i chose to do that well the second half of the question was 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 it what you pictured i mean from what i can tell and what i could find on your early life in Selbridge, a fellow Kildare person. I don't know if you felt this way, but I always felt that that kind of thing and certainly the media felt really far away. It never felt like that was something that I could aspire to. What was the distance mentally for you at as a young age, as a young person playing Camogie in Selbridge to this kind of a life? Oh, like I but I. I'm muttering now because when I think about my teenage self, while she was very ambitious and very academic and quite sure of herself, she had no idea what she wanted to do in a year's time, never mind when she was an adult. And so I'm always so impressed by particularly the students we get into the journal through internships or fellowships or even if they're, I'm just going out to classes. So impressed that people, you know, have this idea of a vocation or they know exactly what they're doing. You know, I want to be a journalist and I want to write this kind of uh, piece or I'm, I want to be this kind of journalist or even the idea of knowing that you want to broadcast over print I never had a clear idea and to be honest I still don't plan my life out in in that way so if I think back to teenage Sinead in Selbridge did she feel very far away from the media did she feel that was something she could do I think I would say if she had set her mind on it she wouldn't have felt far away from it because I don't think she would have taken no for an answer for any reason but she wasn't thinking like that yeah I definitely didn't think like that I had no idea where I was going to end up it is weird when you think about you know, the, these young people that you meet and, you know, people that listen to this show, 
who talk to me about you know it is helping them with their career mindset and i was like had never heard the term career mindset in newbridge it was yeah. kind of one matched the next we were going to beat nace next week and that was what was important in some ways it allowed you to just enjoy it and just be in it when you say that Sinead was did you say headstrong or sure of yourself how did that manifest itself yeah, sure. Myself, I said, I think sometimes when I was going through my 20s, I'm like, I'd love to go back to whatever mindset like I had when I was a teenager, where it was that like you would play a match one day, you go hockey training the next day, you would do your schoolwork. You you know, I, like I remember some people, you know, trying to kind of get at you a little bit for being academic, or for being one way or, you know, um, mm. what's that terrible word, frigid or whatever, things like that. And it just none of it bothered me at all ever just used to you know water off a duck's back and and it wasn't for any particular reason it wasn't because I thought well one day I'm going to be in college or one day I'm going to have this great job or whatever just genuinely didn't bother me I was very happy all the time so and then you know even things like boys and all of that you'd be very kind of content in yourself and then your 20s get a bit more muddled and it gets a bit harder to to figure out everything so yeah, sometimes I think back to being a teenager and just being very sure of what I liked, what I was doing, what was the right thing to do. And yeah, that didn't extend into thinking about what I wanted to be when I grew up. But I was never under pressure from family or anything like that to figure that out. So yeah, I just did my best every day and enjoyed what I was doing. And yeah, as you said, I think it does allow you to enjoy it more. But then I think it also takes a huge deal of luck that you're allowed to ride it out and not mm. plan it out. Like that's an incredibly privileged place to be that you can just, you know, dear leave and cert, figure it out from there, go to college, figure it out from there. Like that's, yeah, um, that's white that's privilege a, a right huge, there. Yeah. It's a huge advantage to, and like everything going right in your life, like your, your parents being your parents, your brother being your brother, your sister being the sister. There's, there was so many things that added up. So it's not, I'm not being laissez faire about it for in that way. Like I know it, it comes from a lot of other people putting the building blocks in place so that I could have that kind of life. Sure, sure. But like it does, it, it, anytime I hear people talk about growing up in that, it does feel like just simpler, simpler times. And that's not just from like what you say, they're writing it out and kind of sure figuring it out as we go. That kind of course in college is roughly in the area of the things that I like. I'm sure I'll think of something when I get there. But there's also the kind of uh, when I see my nieces and nephews with their social media and just the expectation of keeping up and being that way uh, never actually turning off like I think you're right I think that I felt like a lot of the criticism that I received at that age bounced off me because I knew I was going to go home and I was away I wasn't near it yeah and the, the pressure must come from just even planning out your life as well because you know I think there's advantage to it like you were saying like the media felt very far away because you didn't know people you know you weren't in the center of it you didn't have the connections so that would have been the same as um, when I was growing up but now all of those connections feel a lot closer because you can connect with people much more easily you mm. don't have to have your parents know them or you don't have to have a familial connection with people so in some ways at least we can shine a light on opportunities more because of social media. You can say, oh, she's someone like me and she's doing this. So why can't I? Which is, a, you know, the, the good side of it. And mm. then the bad side of it is then, yeah, you, you know, go to your bedroom and all of those 
um, naysayers or even bullies are with you in a way that they wouldn't have been you yeah. know 20 years ago but th- i think that's you know that's something that we have it's it's a conversation that's well worn but still nowhere close to to being completed like how do you how do we regulate for that for our like kids and teenagers growing up now and even when you get into your early 20s uh, in that kind of volatile time yeah i don't I don't envy parents of young kids now and I don't I don't envy the young people going through it a lot so you say this the you mentioned this trip to New York already and it seems from the uh, the limited amount uh, that is available about what brought you to where you are today the trip to New York or the time in New York is fundamental to you realizing I want to go into the news and I want to go home first of all what brought you to New York and had the idea of the news not occurred to you when you started working in the travel magazine? So my dad has this memory of me saying when I was about 16, when he asked me what I wanted to do, that I wanted to write. Now, I have no memory of that, but so one of us is forgetting one of us is adding a a bit of the story onto it that we don't, uh, that the other doesn't know. But anyway, Mm. so that's the first kind of thing I have that I wanted to write. Then I went to college and I did English Lit and Sociology in Trinity. And so a lot of people who I met who would have become my friends and are still my lifelong friends would have been from the sociology side. So people who were doing business and sociology, economics and sociology, language and sociology. So we were kind of a mix, but very few English Lit graduates in that mix. And so it meant that a lot of them were writing essays and not doing very well in essays, but doing really well in exams. And I kind of started with a few of them just helping kind of put shape on their essays and, you know, scolding them for not alphabetizing bibliographies and, you know, simple things that I'd be like, why would you put this here? And then really enjoyed doing that. Like just like I got a real buzz from, you know, going, so what did you get in that essay? And and feeling like it was a helpful exercise, but also one that I enjoyed. So that kind of put me on the thing of maybe I could, you know, edit, editing would be a, a thing that I could be good at. And, you know, thinking about well, would that be books? Would that be writing myself? What What form could that look like? And at the same time, I really wanted to live in a big city. So you, New York. You identified yeah. that as a thing that you wanted to do. Yeah, I, I absolutely adore Dublin and always, always did. Like from when I was very little and mom would bring us in on trips on the bus to, to town. She was also a big Dublin lover. She lived in Ratmines when she was younger. So we were always kind of in and out to town on the bus. And I always loved it and always loved um, walking by Trinity. So that kind of going to Trinity was kind of a little like, I'll go there when I'm older kind of thing. And yeah, not like I had no idea what Trinity was. And, <laughs> yeah. Like no one, like, but, you Just know, I was like, like that's my outside. building. I'll, <laughs> yeah, I'll go there. It's right beside Grafton Street. Mom likes Grafton Street. <laughs> so yeah, that that was kind of, and then it was, yeah, I want to live in a big city. Let's, me and my friend organized to do a J1 after we finished. So it was after, in fourth year, we organized to do a J1 and then kind of thought, well, maybe I can marry these two things, have a look around, see if there's any internships or anything I could do while I'm there. And honestly, this is the most Irish story and it's so serendipitous. One of those friends who was business graduate, her mother, who I had met maybe once or twice in our college life, went to a funeral, met a New York woman who was a relative of the person who had passed away. She was an editor of a publishing house in New York 
they met at the graveside, got chatting. Trisha gave her card to uh, Aoife's mum. Aoife's mum then said to Aoife, isn't one of your friends, Sinead, isn't she an English graduate? Maybe she'd like to talk to this woman. So, like, if that funeral didn't happen, if those two people weren't standing beside each other, if Aoife's mom hadn't this vague memory of her friend doing English lit, there's all of these tiny little things that have to happen. And I called Trisha up and talked to her, and it was one of the most excruciating calls of my life. Okay, walk us through that. Because she asked that was... me questions that I was not prepared for. Okay, well, like um, what? Oh, like the things now that you'd be laughing going, why would you make a call and not be prepared for this? Things like, why do you want to work in magazines? Um, what do you think of the publication we we have? Like all the things that I should have researched, but like f- fourth year student Sinead who had no idea what she wanted to be in her career or wasn't building a CV as a lot of her friends were doing and maybe should have been doing I was completely stumped I I genuinely remember where I was sitting I can remember how red my face was getting <laughs> oh, no. I just remember thinking like why did you pick up oh. the phone Sinead um, and oh. Trisha politely told me like thanks very much for calling like we have our four interns for this year but sure we'll go for a coffee when you're in new york and i said thanks very much oh god um, <laughs> I, can, I can tell you're cringing now doing it. oh it's just awful I, i'm not sure how many people i've told that to but anyway that was that like that is and that that's that you're like that's that that's over that's never going to happen I mean, now I was like, that's that grand. I'll still go ahead with the New York plan. We'll go and get our jobs in the bars and have a lovely summer. And that was kind of the plan. And then that was the plan. That's what we continue to do. And last minute, I got a phone call from a woman called Liz Pink. And she had said an intern had dropped out and Trisha had given me her, my name and number. And if I was still going to be in New York, there was an internship there for me. Amazing. Um, so, like, honestly, how lucky is that? Like, <laughs> yeah, pretty lucky, pretty lucky. So, but also, you know, you you know, you think you think you blew it, but you didn't. I mean, yeah. What I is it? She, what, what do you attribute that to? Like, honestly, it is only the Irish connection. I think that is pure <laughs> Irish American. Literally, connection. the look I, of the Irish. I don't think I could like I can put it down to anything else, and the fact that they had four intern slots, someone dropped out. It was last minute. They made me a general intern and then the hard work does kick in. Like, it's not all that. Mm. Like, they made mm. me a general intern and I never had to do any general intern tasks. They, we did a writing test in the first day or two and I became the editorial intern pretty quickly and I got offered a job and all of those things started happening quickly then. But the, the initial getting in the door, that was, yeah, just pure, pure luck. Well, let me ask you a little bit about New York because I like I definitely identify and that's why I picked up on it with the the attraction of a big city, the energy of <laughs> I, I, I did those same trips up from Kildare early December and uh, just loved it. Like I used to just like going to the airport. I just liked being around the buzz of it. New York was I can remember the first time going into it and just feeling like I, I could live here. I could I could do this, this. And yet other people have the opposite experience. They're like, oh, this is too much. I, I'm way too anonymous here and uh, it's too frightening. What was it about the city, first of all, that made you, you go, I can I can do this? And what was it that eventually gave you the kick in the butt to go, I go I'm going to go home and I'm going to get into news? I think the loving of New York is like, 
when I arrive in New York, even when I go back to visit, like my shoulders go down and I feel like I'm just completely relaxed the second I get out of a subway, which I know is weird. Like I remember coming out of a subway on my first visit back just at Chelsea there. There was rats on the ground. It was sweltering hot. And I was just like, oh, yes, lovely. <laughs> yeah, I know what so, you mean. I know. And there's loads of people say this to me, too. I know whereas, that feeling. Yeah. Whereas when I go to London, my shoulders tense up and I feel like I am just in like I, I'm like, get me out of here. Like, why? Why am I still on the tube? Like, get me out. Of, like, so it's not it's not fully a big city thing. It is the kind of city I mm. like, I think. Mm. Um, like, I hate in, when you go to London. This isn't now just a me hating on London podcast. But, you know, when you go to London and someone says, well, I meet you there. And then you look it up and you're like, yeah, that's an hour and 50 minutes away, though. And then someone else will say, well, I'll meet you over here. And then you're like, but that's a different hour and 15 minutes away. Everything is an hour and 50 minutes away from each other in London. It's, yeah. yeah. Whereas in Manhattan, you can, you know, kind of walk everywhere if you're that way inclined. Mm. Um, so in some ways, it's a big city, but and obviously there's so many people, but you, you still bump into people in New York. Mm. Like that genuinely happens. Like you bump into people or you can be on a night out and meet up with people who are on another night out quite easily. So there is a little bit of a local feel a lot of the time in yeah. New York. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I just, I liked everything about the people there. I liked the kind of overt friendliness clashing with the crankiness um <laughs> i liked that everyone worked two jobs and it was it, the energy was a bit frenetic yeah the, there, what, was, what there was very little about it that i didn't enjoy except for the pay and working conditions <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is a big chunk of it yeah what about uh, the thing that i certainly drew me to america which was just this sense that you can have it if you want it and that uh, kind of relates back to what we were talking about growing up and feeling things were far away until i got to america i didn't understand you know that notion of opportunity and that sense that uh, even if it is just lip service to the idea that if you work hard anything can be achievable but when when the game is kind of set up that way or that's that's the understanding even the fact that people would say it meant a lot to me because it was the opposite of what I was raised with in that so much of Ireland I felt in the 80s was uh, sure what would you be doing there sure you don't know anybody involved in that you, you that that's not again that's not for that's you not for you yeah mm. yeah yeah the only thing is in New York it is a very Again, going back to it, it's a very privileged place and you are kind of set up in your networks there. So I'm not sure if that ever came quite across to me. Like it always felt, yeah, you, you, I always still felt like we were in a bit of a bubble there that like there was. So one of the things and probably one of the reasons that I did move back as well is in America, one of the things that I did think made Americans extremely fortunate, but also made them lose something that's quite essential to us. So there you have it, a short taster of the conversation I had with Sinead, which goes on for another hour, would you believe? There's an hour's worth of extra material over at patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad and really interesting conversation towards the end about the future of journalism and where uh, things are going, especially when they were already so precarious 
in the lead up to the pandemic, what does Sinead see as the future now and how will journal change to match that? Come on over patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad for a very, very small price. You can get access to hundreds of episodes, 400 plus episodes with the greatest Irish people ever to have lived, the definitive archive of Irishman Abroad podcasts and all our spin-off series, including Irishman in America, Irishman Inside Basketball, Irishman Behind Bars and a new series starting this Monday. I'll announce that on the 24th of August. It will begin on September 1st. I can't say much about it right now, but I can tell you that it is co-hosted by an Irish sporting icon. Next week is a big one as well for us because we've got the Irishman Abroad Comedy Club coming back. Yes, an online comedy club from Irishman Abroad is one of the many benefits of being a patron or you can just buy a ticket from thelockin.io. I've put the links up in the information for this. But next week we have our comedy club, which is now in its third installment. Guests will include Kevin McGarren, Abandonment, Joe Wilkinson from Cats Does Countdown. Jack L will provide the music and there'll be a special guest appearance from Sonia O'Sullivan. Look, I hope you'll come along to that. It's the closest thing you're going to get to the going to a gig experience in your home. We've put an awful lot of work into it and I think you'll enjoy it. The tickets cost €7.50 if you just want to buy one stream for your household or you can become a member of Irishman Abroad Premium and get into the club free every single month. Well, that's it for our main feed. Come on over and join us. As I said, my thanks to Brian Connolly for his work on this episode, to John Marr for his extra research as always, and Tina and Mikey for making it all possible. The next time we talk to the talk to you, we will have our our series up, our next series out there. It'll be in the world. I can't believe it. I'm, I, I just hope that you'll come on board for that. Monday is the announcement. So please do keep your eyes peeled for that one until next Friday's episode of An Irishman in America with Marion McKeown. Take care. Good luck. Stay safe. Stay home.